and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna. And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we're discussing book three, chapter one, The Departure of Boromir, discussing pride and community. Anna, when you first opened this book, did you realize how short the first chapter was going to be? I super didn't. Mm-hmm. So as we set this for our our goal today to have this conversation, I was feeling a little anxious towards the end of the week and in, in preparation because I hadn't read the chapter yet. Mm-hmm. And finally, I sat down to counted the number of pages and... Uh, it was brief. It was very, very yeah. brief. I um I listened to this one on my on my audiobook and it was about twenty minutes long. And mm. for uh for reference, the next one is an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit different, we're saying. <laughs> yes. I was like, Oh, that's probably like you know, there's only there's always an introduction at the beginning mm-hmm. and they're gonna read and talk about what happened in the last book. That's gotta mm-hmm. be what that is. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Whole first chapter just zipped on by there. But I do like, to your point, I don't know about everybody's book, but certainly my book has a synopsis. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a little bit of, you know, what happened in the first book. And it starts out with, this is the second part mm-hmm. of The Lord of the Rings. And I just really liked how upfront that was. In case you picked this up, you knew exactly where you were in the series. Okay, well, funny story. So the first time that I ever tried to read the book, The Lord of the Rings, I was, I would guess, like late elementary, early middle school, because I was really familiar with the story. We had, you know, obviously seen the movie one bazillion times. And I was like, I'm a reader. I'm going to read the books. And at the library, the first one was already checked out. So I just checked out the second one and I was like, it's going to be easy to figure out where we are. No big deal. And I read this first chapter and promptly closed the book and did not open any Lord of the Rings books again for like almost a decade. (laughs) This first chapter (laughs) was so much singing. I felt like it moved so slowly. The book felt dauntingly large in my tiny childlike hands. And I was like, uh, it's not for me. It's not for me. Lots of song. I don't know where we are. Frodo's not on this page. There's too much singing and there's no singing in the movie. So I'm lost. And I just uh, quit. <laughs> I That is the most chaotic thing I've ever heard. To just like pick up the second book in a trilogy and assume that you will know what's going on yeah i thought for sure i mean i knew the story i was like listen they start at the shire they end in rivendell there's a lot that happens in between we love orlando bloom let's go in (laughs) it um it went really poorly (laughs) yeah i can i can understand that Mm -hmm. i would say and in all transparency i don't know if if i've shared this with the listeners previously but I had the same experience, but reading the books in chronological order, Mm, mm -hmm. the first book, there was so much singing and so much Tom Bombadil that I was like, I don't understand why this is enjoyable for people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like the movies so much better because there's like an actual pace to them. Mm -hmm. 
um, and had a very similar experience where I read the first book and then like really had to take a minute and reevaluate my priorities as to whether I was going to continue on with the with the series or not. At least you got through the whole first book. I did. I did. And it was um, I think it was mostly then I felt committed Mm. to do the rest but it wasn't necessarily there you're like we've already put this much in (laughs) right it felt more obligatory that I needed to continue than I was really looking forward to finding out what happened in the next book I'll be Mm -hmm. honest yeah it's funny that I neither of us really had good first impressions but we both loved the story enough to to commit and come back at a later date me a much later date and that time around, I was like, wait, why did I not like this? This goes by so quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what it was? It was the fourth grade because we had just read The Hobbit. Yep. And I was like, great. Loved the book. So cool. Let's do the trilogy. And um, oh, man, the library doesn't have the first one. We'll just start with number two. It's whatever. <laughs> That's a very fourth grade like decision to make. Yeah. <laughs> You have all the facts, but you've still mm-hmm. kind of arrived at an interesting conclusion. Yeah. And it's funny, too, that you had such a pleasurable experience with The Hobbit because I found The Hobbit absolutely insufferable. I just, I don't understand that. I thought it was so joyful. <laughs> Do you like it now? Have you grown into it? Um, I'll say it took me, that was a book that I set down and then, like, never really returned to. Mm-hmm. Um. And here's my biggest beef with The Hobbit, spilling the tea on this first episode of, (laughs) is I can't, I cannot with the dwarf and hobbit genealogy. Like the full family tree and the multitude of pages that are spent explaining whose son is whom and their relations. I can't. I can't I don't remember it. that. It's all I remember of The Hobbit. <laughs> and, like, the story was fine, but uh-huh. I also don't remember it being... And, again, I was in, I think, the fifth grade when we read it. It was yeah, not maybe compelling enough. maybe it was fifth grade when we had to read it. Because it was Mrs. Little who... Yeah, I remember God bless. That. Good times. Shout out And to she Mrs. read it aloud, and she did a great job. Mm-hmm. However... There's only so much that an elementary school teacher can do to make genealogy and family trees interesting to Mm -hmm. a classroom of 29 and 10 year olds. And it was, I mean, bless her for trying. It was not enough to keep me engaged. And so then the rest of the book was kind of like, yeah, all right. I mean, it's fine. But that first bit was really challenging. Could it be enough? It wasn't. It was not enough. (laughs) It was not enough. Spoiler alert, I had a tough time. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope one day you can return to it um, and find joy in that telling. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like we've really, you know, dived into our thoughts, feelings, mm-hmm. opinions, and emotions on right. the written word here. Um, but today we have joined to talk about mm-hmm. pride in community 
And now let's let's do a little auditory moment. And how about you tell us tell us a story today about pride in community? I'd be happy to. I'll try and do Mrs. Little's storytelling and voices justice throughout my story as well. So I had a lot of thoughts about what pride looks like in community. I think a lot of us may have some associations with the word pride and thinking that it's it can be really celebratory and it can be a sort of um, a celebration of, of integrity, of dignity, of knowing your own sort of worth. And then I was also kind of thinking about the more insidious side of pride that could lean towards um, arrogance or kind of an egotistical moment. So I was thinking about some of those juxtapositions as I was thinking about a story that really stood out to me. And the stories that I really considered as some of my proudest moments where I felt like I stood into my values, I really achieved something notable, were two seemingly maybe insignificant moments to others from the outside looking in on my life. So one, um, in a previous position that I held, I was a supervisor of two individuals Um, one of whom I had kind of been colleagues with, then my position had shifted, and another who came to me, um, and I only know, I only knew her through a supervisor-supervisee relationship. And so I worked really hard with this individual. We were um, alike in a lot of ways, and so I found supervising her to be a pretty straightforward process because I could use a lot of my own lenses in helping her navigate the work situation. And ultimately, she left the position for another opportunity that was a good opportunity for her. And after a month, um, after she had left, she sent me a text message saying, "Um, I really just want to say that you provided the most emotionally stable work environment that I've ever worked in, and I really miss that. And I was so proud of myself because the environment we had been working in together was often very challenging, very emotionally charged. And so I was so thrilled to have the work I was trying to do be recognized and received in the ways that I had intended it. The other story that really jumped out at me is very similar. Um, I was a staff member at an organization at at a university. And every year, a student group would nominate staff members who had been particularly staunch allies of systemically non-dominant populations on campus. So I was nominated and chosen um, as an ally by those student nominees, and again, felt just so proud about that my actions as an ally, something that's really important to me were received in the ways that I had intended them and that ultimately these students felt supported by my presence in their organization, which was really cool. But I think both of those examples for me held a lot in common in that the work that I was doing and what I was proud of were manifestations of someone else showing me how to do this work and teaching me and and providing real life examples that then allowed me to move through the world. And so I was both proud in that moment of what I had done, but also really proud of a community and an environment which allowed me to do that work, which allowed me to learn um, and make a really significant impact in in ways that were recognized by, by recipients. 
And I think that's something that I feel like often is missed when we talk about pride. Um, often it can be a, a I'm proud of my individual achievements and we don't really connect the dots between how we got to our achievement from a moment of less pride or less knowledge or less action. And so I really wanted to sort of name that there are very few things that any one person achieves alone. And so I was thinking about that as I was thinking about pride and community is maybe this individual action was my own, but I couldn't have gotten there without the support of varying community members. I love that story, and I think it shows a lot of maturity and showing understanding as to how how the world really works, and that you do your achievements are almost always because of support from from a community or from somebody else. So I like that that both of those those examples had that in common. I remember the first like learning this lesson in like a lightning bolt moment when I was at a scholarship luncheon my freshman year of college and the person presiding over it was like and none of the none of the young students in this room achieved this by themselves and I was so offended I was like yes I did like I wrote that essay I submitted the essay and that's how like I was awarded the scholarship and of course that's just such it's that's such an immature view of things and did not I, I had to take a moment there to reflect on all the people who actually helped me get to that point where I was able to apply for the scholarship. Your story, I think, kind of encapsulates that. And that we all then have kind of a role to play in helping others achieve those moments as well, right? Like it's a big deal to spend time and mentor, mm-hmm. or provide resources or just support to someone. And those moments feel certainly as I as I age and mature, I'm oh. so <laughs> I'm so thankful for the moments that people take to help me learn something or help mm, me grow. Mm-hmm. Those feel unendingly valuable to me in a way that a physical gift, though also something that I love if I'm being truly, truly honest. Mm-hmm. It's just not as impactful. And some of the lessons that people have taught me are things that then I continue to try and practice myself and then bring forward into into others' lives. I think that's something that I could do better, um, could, mm-hmm. could do more consistently. Um, and so it was something I was really kind of noodling around as I thought about today's episode. But I think for us to find then examples of this in the chapter, we have to understand what even happened. Are you ready to kind of run us through the events? Oh, I am ready. All right, take it away. As we mentioned, there is not a lot. So <laughs> we begin our story almost exactly where we left Sam. So I, in my mind, there's an overlap here of about 30 minutes where the last volume has ended with Sam running down the hill, going to meet Frodo, crossing the river, going to Mordor. And this is that same moment but now we're following Aragorn so Aragorn's running to the top of the hill and he wants to see what happens so he sits down in the seat and is like looking out into the world and then he hears Boromir's horn the horn of Gondor and runs to his aid unfortunately it is too late and he comes into the clearing to find Boromir gravely injured and is dying But with Boromir's last breath, he imparts upon Aragorn that 
they've taken the hobbits and that he tried to take the ring from Frodo, which Aragorn keeps, he shares that first bit of knowledge that the orcs have taken the hobbits, but he keeps the part of Boromir trying to take the ring from Frodo, a secret, uh, I think it says until the end of his life. So he just tucked that little nugget away, which I thought was very big of him to do. Then Gimli and Legolas come in. They've also heard the, the horn. And all three of them discuss whether they should chase the orcs or not. Uh, and the missing bit of information here is that they don't know which hobbits the orcs have. They don't have time to bury Boromir. So instead they decide to put him in a boat and basically cast him over Rauros, over the falls. Bit of a Viking funeral. And they like lay all of the the broken weapons of his defeated enemies in his boat. And then the song happens. And I have a lot of thoughts about the song. So they sing a song in three parts. Three of the four winds are mentioned. And Aragorn and Legolas, like, know the verses. Aragorn starts the first verse. Legolas comes in. Aragorn wraps us up. Gimli does not participate. And I just got, I have a lot of questions about what happened there. Then they're at the beach. Aragorn is reading like the Prince in the Sand and noodles out that Sam followed Frodo and that they both went to Mordor. So they're like, they've chosen their path. They're going that way. I can't really do a lot about it. Let's go ahead and chase the orcs. We're going to find Merry and Pippin. And like a deer, he sprang away. It's one of the lines that I loved. That's the first chapter. Okay, I'm so glad that you called out the like a deer he sprang away. Yes. I don't know why. Great visual. It just feels so out of character for Aragorn. Like he to me, he's always like so grounded. Like he's light on his feet, but he's a tracker. So for me, it's really interesting to use the comparison of a deer because that always seems so one like vulnerable uh, a deer mm. and then also like much more live than i imagine this live to is totally the right word i picture um if you've ever seen male ballerinas when they do that kind yes. of wide leap with the pointed toes and the they, like, one of the legs and- <laughs> yes that's kind of how i pictured him like <laughs> out into the woods um with Legolas and Gimli you know coming behind right he and then like a deer he sprang away on a four beat (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like and a one ta-ta and then they they go after they call themselves the three hunters I'm like they've already renamed the group everybody else is gone they've rebranded Yes, they have rebranded. And I I mean, this is one of the best parts of the movie is them running through trying to catch up to the orcs. I think it's even better in the books because it goes on a bit longer. Mm-hmm. So you get more of the the nuance of Gimli getting tired. Mm-hmm. And I love the, I, mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I love the way they pace it with stuff from Merry and Pippin's point of view and then stuff from their point of view. It's just really well done. And I, we, we begin it with a leap, a leap into the forest. So mm-hmm. huge fan of Aragorn springing away. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I have to hear your questions about the song because as we all know, as we've literally mm. just discussed, Mm -hmm. the songs and I are not friends. 
it is a very challenging component of these books for me. <laughs> yeah, and this particular song is the song that turned me off from the books for right. a good decade. So I did listen to it. Oh, I forgot. You said that you listen. So do yes. they truly like sing it out? Do you get a sense for Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Mm-hmm. They do. And there's no like kind of letting your eyes go a little blurry and skimming through it because it's in your ear. You can't, can't let that one drift away. So my first question, is this like a pre-written song that they... Are then like f- somehow fitting Boromir's name into? I had the same question because because they both know it. They both know it, and they just like kind of jump in. Now, what I will say is that what we've learned over the course of the first book is that song is really important to all of the communities in Middle Earth. Seemingly. Certainly all of the ones that we encounter. We have not seen the dwarves singing. <laughs> True. At least in and in specifically this chapter. Um, but I kind of wonder, is it like I mean a rap battle is such a poor poor well, conception. So but that's is kind of like where that? my mind went next. I'm like, okay, they're like riffing off each other. Right. And it's so funny <laughs> the audiobook, because like I mean, the audiobook is from I think maybe eighty nine or ninety. Like mm-hmm. it's a it's an it's an older uh, piece of piece of work, and so the audio is a little bit grainy. And this one guy is like, like that's kind of the vibe. Like a monk. Yeah, a little bit like a monk. <laughs> All right. And then he'll stop and go. Then Legolas sang. From house of sea, the south wind flies. And then he'll do that whole bit and they'll go, then Aragorn sang again. And for some reason, like back and forth just really sent me. I was like, I don't understand. I'm right now, if we are reading this um, and I'm imagining myself into the text, I'm Gimli and I'm sitting, I'm sad because Boromir's dead, but I'm just like, what on earth are these men doing? Like, I go, are they going to turn to me next for verse three? Like, when does my cue, when should I come in? I I think they're just riffing off of each other, and it's very strange. I also have to imagine, and this is perhaps stereotyping Gimli a bit, I really feel like Gimli is tone deaf. Probably. So the idea that anybody would ask him to sing, and it would just be kind of this monotone, but like dragged out would be just, I think, mm-hmm. a lot to take and I think would really change the mood mm-hmm. <laughs> of what they're trying to do here for Boromir. I would love to see a rewritten bit here where Aragorn starts and then he turns to Legolas and then Legolas starts and then they both turn to Gimli and he's just like, <laughs> He just starts singing about his feelings and yeah, things like, that he's I... noticing didn't prepare for this part of the funeral (laughs) okay so then here's my other Mm -hmm. not only could they be riffing but Mm -hmm. quite possibly is this a known funeral song that's i mean that's gotta be it which right where it kind of is that not to be callous but put the deceased name here Mm -hmm. and now you've got your Funeral song, fill in some details, maybe about this person, call it a day. 
Yeah, Boromir the Tall. Because they sing about him, like, never being seen on the walls of Gondor again or something. I don't know. I don't know, because they include, you know, may have heard the Horn of the Son of Denethor. Like, there are some there details, are details in here that have a lot of syllables. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, like, put Boromir in, you know, like, a happy birthday, but for funerals. Yeah, or this one, Beneath Amon Hen, I Heard His Cry, There Are Many Foes He Fought. Like, that's pretty specific to this one person. <laughs> that is right. just what happened to him. But yeah, that was my view on the song. I'm going to use this as my transition point. Mm-hmm. Do you think Aragorn is proud of the song that he has written here? I don't know. I think Aragorn's having a bit of a tough time. He's... um. He's pretty willing to be accountable Mm -hmm. to the disaster that has befallen the company. Maybe maybe a bit more accountable than I think he actually is. But as the leader, I think he's kind of stepping into that void saying, this is my fault because I stepped in after Gandalf fell. But I think that is a good place for us to start in thinking about pride or lack of pride through this chapter yeah how about you how about you walk us through some moments where you noticed it in the text so i'll be honest i think because it was a short chapter i only saw a few Mm -hmm. but there were a couple that really stood out to me so one is on page four boromir and aragorn are exchanging sort of boromir's last words And Boromir is confessing to Aragorn that it's his fault he tried to take the ring from Frodo. And also that the halflings have been taken by the orcs, um, in his words. Ultimately, he says, Farewell, Aragorn. Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I have failed. And Aragorn says, quote, No, said Aragorn, taking his hand and kissing his brow. You have conquered. Few have gained such a victory. Be at peace. Minas Tirith shall not fall. Boromir smiled. So in this moment, it really feels like Aragorn is trying to reassure and sort of comfort Boromir by playing to his pride and his people. And of course, Boromir would be deeply devastated to think that he had failed his people and so I think there's really kind of an interesting play here where Aragorn realizes that Boromir's pride has been wounded among other things and uh, he's trying to sort of reassure him in Mm -hmm. that. I think he's also playing to his pride that he has in himself when he says few have gained such a victory. Mm-hmm. I think that's Aragorn being like, you should be really proud of what you just did here. You just look at all these orcs that you slew, mm-hmm. that you slayed, slew. It's hard to know. It's hard. I will never know. <laughs> There's no way to know. Look at all these orcs that you wrecked as you fell to your own, <laughs> <laughs> your own demise. Be proud. <laughs> I was, I was really not prepared for you to say wrecked. <laughs> I I couldn't think of another like good descriptive oh, word. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. He he absolutely is trying to both reassure him kind of broadly but also specifically about, you know, what's just happened to him and and all that he's done. Absolutely. Mhm. It's worth it. Right. Like you haven't done this in vain. Mhm. 
Okay, so the next example that I had is more on the insidious or kind of arrogance side of pride. And that's on page six. And they're talking about the orcs and that some of them are branded with an S Mm. rune. And so Aragorn says, quote, S is for Saruman, I guess, he said at length. There is evil afoot in Isengard and the West is no longer safe. So in that moment, I'm kind of thinking about Saruman having this like arrogance of sending these enemies out into the world and branding them so that people know exactly who has sent them and exactly what is behind um, the devastation that they're they're absolutely leveling in some of these communities. Yeah, it's very it's very brazen to be like, this is me. Mm-hmm. It's Saruman really claiming his allegiance you know to which side that he's going to be he's going to be fighting for okay so that was uh that was an example all right then i really thought about kind of that ceremony the funeral for Mm. boromir as being a display of pride again kind of speaking to boromir's actions talking about like his honor and his integrity as a man honoring that through that ceremony and uh again putting all of his fallen enemies weapons around him to really send him off with these these memories these these trophies and so that just like that whole that whole sequence of preparing him for this funeral really kind of struck me as they are giving him his dignity mm-hmm. and and acknowledging his pride in how he would want to be remembered through through this act of service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really proud in death. He died proudly on his feet, and we're going to carry that through into how we're honoring him beyond. Mm-hmm. I actually... I looked up some definitions of pride to really think about what that looks like in action. And the one that really stuck to me in this example was the consciousness of one's own dignity mm. with synonyms being like self-esteem, dignity, honor, self-respect. And I think a lot of those are at play here and they're happening through Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn's service to really honor Boromir's mm-hmm. pride. I wonder had it been a because di- this really suits him. Had it been a different member of the company that fell, Mm -hmm. would they have decided to honor that person in death differently? Boromir was very proud. I'm sure, like, the valor in battle was something that that dignity is important to him. But I wonder, like, if it had been Sam, you know, would they they have decided to, to bury him differently? You'd certainly hope so. I mean, you'd hope that they maybe create something that's a little mm-hmm. bit more natural, you know, like branches and leaves and, and that kind of speak to his his gardening, his mm-hmm. his tending spirit a bit more. But I do think that is an interesting thought experiment to consider, given what they have and given who's there, how do they characterize the person that they're seeking to honor and how does that shape their actions? Well, they definitely would have sang a different song. We know that now that we know that they're just riffing. For sure. I feel like that's where we, where we left things. Right. I think what they're doing here, and I feel like a lot of rituals that involve multiple people, show a pride in, in the community itself. 
It's like, we are a group of people who believe that we should honor the dead. And, we you know, that's sort of like a self-respect, pride in who you are as a group that makes you, makes you want to do that. Okay, then the last example that I have is a little bit sillier than the last one. On page 11, it's a quote from Gimli. And Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas are talking about following the orcs to try and save our, our halfling friends. Aragorn says, quote, But they go with a great speed for all that, said Aragorn, and they do not tire. And later we may have to search for our path in hard bare lands. Well, after them, said Gimli, dwarves too can go swiftly, and they do not tire sooner than orcs. And so in that, I kind of feel like it may be a, a bit of a brash assertion to try and kind of rouse some spirits, but also it might be Gimli's pride that he can kind of carry himself. And certainly I'm not going to get tired before an orc gets tired. Mm-hmm. I'm here to save my friends. And so that really kind of stuck out to me as a as a moment of pride for Gimli. Yeah, I feel like people are always assuming that he's not going to be able to be up to scratch physically. And they're like carrying the boats, remember? They're like, well, I guess only the men can do it. I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Gimli seems like pretty strong. And then here again, mm-hmm. I, 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 it really resonates with me, his need to always assert himself and be like, no, I am physically capable and proud of it. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's just played, it's just played with such joy and humor in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, but yeah, that was good. I, I had not noticed that moment. So thank you for drawing us to something warm and lovely there at the end. If we're done discussing our moments of pride in the chapter, let's let us transition to talking with Tolkien. Do you have a we need some theme music for that. I'll work on that one. Mm-hmm. That's we can workshop that later. <laughs> yeah, let's let's workshop that, shall um, we? <laughs> did did you have a quote? I have one as well to to contribute. I think the quote that I liked the most is uh, is one that I used for the examples of the theme, which is dwarves too can go swiftly and they mm-hmm. do not tire sooner than orcs. And I, I just I like that Gimli is so hardy, yeah. you know, like he's just willing to be like, we're going to get this done. Uh, so don't you doubt me because yeah, I'm an ultra marathoner. Right. Mm-hmm. I have no toenails mm-hmm. and I'm ready to do this. Let's go. What was your quote? My quote was also Gimli on page seven. And this is when Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas are all trying to decide what to do. So many riddles to ponder. And Aragorn's like, but we must guess the riddles if we're to choose our course rightly. And Gimli says, quote, maybe there is no right choice. And I like that line. I, I don't know if I've told this story in the pod before, but when I was trying to pick colleges, our mom gave me the advice of there are no right or wrong choices you just have to make the best choice with the information you have available and then make it right for you because I was like I don't know where to go what's the Mm -hmm. right answer and she's like there probably isn't one you just gotta kind of do your best and then make it right so I had actually underlined that from the last time that I read this book Mm -hmm. so it was there just staring up at me 
And I, I like that Gimli understands that this is such a big moment that there might not be an exact right choice and there will be pros and cons to each and we just have to do our best. Well, and I think Aragorn really needs to hear that, right? Yes. Because he seems pretty consumed with his own failings mm-hmm. um, for the group. And for that, he's perhaps losing sight of the bigger picture, which is, this isn't about you, Aragorn. We just have to figure out what we're going to do next. Mm-hmm. So let's put our heads together, dream up a solution that's going to work for what we decide we need to do. But you need to kind of pull out of this tailspin here. Mm-hmm. And Gimli, I think, is saying all of that by reminding him there isn't a right way to do this. Yeah. We just have to figure out what we're doing. Yes. Gimli had Gimli really has all the wisdom in in this chapter. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about it before. I love this book. This is my favorite book. It's because it's the best book. <laughs> um right. An <laughs> objective opinion. Yes. Um, from us is that this is the best book and i love the dynamics between aragorn legolas and gimli i think Uh we get a lot more play between them both as far as like exchanges but also we get to see so much more of their personality Mm -hmm. and and some of the um kind of quippy interchange between them is really interesting to me yeah they're a lot of fun they are fun well this has been Talking with Tolkien. I think it's like Toto's Africa plus like a hamster. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, thank you, Anna, for this wonderful and lively discussion about our very short chapter. Mm -hmm. I'm so looking forward to just continuing deeper into this book because it's it's all uphill from here. Sometimes literally. Sometimes literally. Scooting up Ammon Hen, trying to see what we can see. Right. But then, alas, Elendil! I like that he also yells his sword's name as he runs. This has been only delightful. Would you like to give us an action item? for something we can do to strengthen our community. I absolutely would. And it's really easy. And to be perfectly honest, uh, I saw this. I follow Hank Green on Facebook, and I think he was the one who said it. So I'm trying to give credit where credit is due. But the action is simple. Tell your friends that you're proud of them. People need to hear it. You recognize the work that they're doing that goal that they met, that they had a tough day and they were, they still brought you some coffee, you know, tell your friends that you're proud of them and just recognize how much some of us are (laughs) having a hard, hard go of it, hard couple of years here. So uh, feel free to tell your friends that you are proud of, of what they're doing. That's a great, very easy, very actionable takeaway for us today. Thank you. And thank you, maybe Hank Green. Right. You two together brought it to the group. <laughs> right. Saw it in the internet ether and I mm-hmm. was like, hmm, this feels important. Yes. I think we should. We should talk about this. Yes, we absolutely should. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Roaring Falls of Raros. Say that five times fast. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. 
If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. I had um, another another nightmare last night where I'm in high school and they're telling me that I missed an assignment. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I checked online. And they're like, but did you check this website? No, that's where it was posted. Ha ha, you're late. And that kind of just like your ill-prepared mm-hmm. anxiety nightmare. Mm-hmm. That's what this is going to be for Gimli. Of like, everyone turns to look at him for the funeral song. And he's like, oh no, I didn't learn the words. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. And Lady Galadriel is yes. in the front row. And wait, I forgot to put my pants on. <laughs> my mithril, no. <laughs> uh, yes. Classic. <laughs> Poor Gimli.